0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round two preview edition. And it's a pleasure to be here and uh, to purloin a popular phrase what a big week in football it's been. Terrific round one and plenty of fallout, uh, which we will talk about in some detail, as well as previewing all the upcoming games for the next weekend of football, plus our new and already favourite segment, Fantastic Footy Flashbacks. Going to be a big show, as I say, a very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark
1: Fine. How are you doing, Fine? Loving it already. Loving the season, loving the rhythm of footyology. I love the fact that the two big upsets in round one sort of play out in a a sequel in round two because the two losers meet each other and the two winners meet each other. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah. There's uh, certainly massive upsets. Uh, obviously talk, we're talking there about Adelaide beating Geelong and uh, Sydney uh, beating Brisbane up at the Gabba. Yeah. Massive comeback by the Hawks and some big stories too. Obviously Patty Dangerfield will talk about very shortly. There's a lot to digest. Uh, I'll tell you what else there's a lot to digest, Finey. When you chomp down on a big, juicy, succulent, tender, tasty, mouth-watering burger from a certain establishment in Albert Park.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mum always told me never to speak speak with my mouth full. Yeah, well, I told you that. But I'm only imagining it. I'm dreaming it. They told you about on radio as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I just as soon as you said jump down, I, you know, we do this in the morning, and because of preparation, which is now quite serious, I haven't had any breakfast. I would love an Andrew's hamburgers now, you know. All right, throw an egg in it, make it a breakfast burger. I don't care, but it's that beautiful fresh produce burger that is good any time of the day, any... Look, they're not open 24 hours, but I could eat one 24 hours. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. You've got to get there when it's open. It won't be a huge queue because they're very quick in their preparations. It's fast food made the caring sort of slow way, if that makes any sense. 82 years. You get things right after 82 years. I've worked that out. I'll tell you what
0: else is pretty damn tasty. And that is a home renovation, thanks to Nick Spartel's. In fact, I went past one of Nick Spartel's renovated properties the other day, and it just looked so pristine, so postmodern, so beautifully set up that I was tempted to walk up to the front door and just bite down on it, see if I could actually taste it. That's how, that's how well it came up finding. You know where I'm going.
1: Yeah, to prison if you go up to somebody's house who you, who you don't really know and start biting it or, or to um, you'll be sectioned. No, they're not for eating houses, Rowan. It was, it I know, was, I know that it was a laboured metaphor. Okay, I admit that. All right, but they're not made out of gingerbread. That house was for the eating, but of course didn't end up happily. This is going to end happily. No puns intended, nothing rude or crude about this. It's a beautiful house. It's got the. you're right, it, is, it, it, it has that modern interior, but often he takes advantage of the older type homes that are such a feature of inner southeastern Melbourne. So externally, a beautifully, a beautifully um, updated maybe terrace house and inside, ultra-modern, beautifully facilitated with all the best in the kitchen appliances right through to... Um, Well, we know the warmed floors, you name it, he'll do it because it's an eye for detail that makes West Point Properties. Nick Spar tells your team and your man if you're planning to extend or build West Point Properties, not for eating, but for meeting and greeting and living. I'll tell you what, they are so proficient,
0: though. I reckon if you did want your renovation done in gingerbread, this is the company that could do it for you, West Point Properties. And that is not the last of our sponsors because, of course, as announced last week, Footyology Proprietary Limited has partnered up with Stats Insider to bring you some of the best statistical insights into the game going. Stats Insider is a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis to more than 15 sports across the world. They simulate an event 10,000 times, to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-game live and season projections, Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. And you can read my stuff there. Everything's free to use on the site, so check them out, James Roseworn and the guys at StatsInsider, statsinsider.com.au. We're thankful to all our commercial partners. We're thankful to our audience. We've got a big show lined up for you. Let's do it.
1: On Footyology
0: Newsfeed. All right. Well, let's get down to business and uh, pretty big uh, match review officer tribunal story to start the season. Uh, it doesn't come a lot bigger, really. The suspension of a Brownlow medalist in Paddy Dangerfield for three games last night at the AFL tribunal. Uh, Of course, he had been referred to the tribunal by the MRO who had classed his rough conduct charge on Adelaide's Jake Kelly as being severe impact. Um, Dangerfield pleaded guilty to the uh, fundamentals of the charge, but contested the grading of severe. Uh, He and Geelong wanted it classed as high. Um, in practical, in practical terms, uh, the difference probably was only a two-game suspension as opposed to the eventual three-game suspension. But the tribunal upheld the decision of the MRO and agreed with them that the classification of severe was the correct one. And the upshot is Paddy Dangerfield missing the next three games and, of course, ineligible for a second. Brownlow Metal, I've got uh, some thoughts on this one, which I've penned for ESPN, a column that you can read on their website today, and we'll be on footiology tomorrow. Uh, what did you think of the outcome,
1: for Well, I tipped three weeks. I felt that uh, three weeks was going to be the least, it was the most likely outcome because just the jungle drums beat where Geelong people wanted two and non-Geelong people four. So three seemed about right in terms of the sentence. In terms of the actual act, I think it's been understood by all coaches and by all participants, even Paddy himself, that we just don't want to see players being stretched off, even if the incident that brings it about is quite innocent and football. the The intent, the intention, was football based, not not to um, end Kelly's afternoon, not to impose himself physically on the game. He did that a bit later, actually. But this was a football act, but it's a football act of high impact and high danger. And I think Paddy Dangerfield has to understand this: that there are options available to him. And one option available to him is not to track the player. People say, oh, you should tackle in that situation. He was never going to get there before the ball was going to be released. You know, he, he's not the flash. It, it, he's played enough football to know when he can get to the contest and when he can't. So what are his options? He tackles the guy. Isn't that a free in 50 metres? Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, look. I, I, so his yeah. best options to not not go there. Sorry.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that's what this situation now has to present. Look, basically my column, I, I've argued this. There's this ongoing, uh, I guess, philosophical battle between intent and consequences. But if we're the concussion stuff has got to the seriousness it has and we're taking it seriously enough to have a, a medical substitute part of the the uh, First Choice team each weekend, I think we've got to look at anything that promotes the or, or um, increases the dangers of people suffering concussion. Now, one of them is the bump because properly executed with the sort of power and velocity these guys are travelling at in a professional environment, there is almost always incidental contact to their head. Uh, when a bump is executed the way Dangerfield executed it. So do we need to get rid of the bump? I know we always ask that question, is the bump officially dead? It never gets answered because it's always left in the rules. I'm now of the view that I think we have to remove the facility to bump from players. Now, let me stress, I haven't gone soft. I do appreciate the good old hard days of footy. But you know what? Uh, When you think about it, First off, I'd say this. How many times in the modern game do we see the bump or players even in a position to bump in the as it's popularly known? I'd argue not very many at all. It's an in-tight game and there just aren't that many times during a game when two players have the space to run at each other and make hip and shoulder contact with each other, which means that the times you see the bump now is almost always... One player with the football in hand or head over pursuing the football, not expecting contact, while the other player is braced, ready to make contact. That's not a fair battle. Apart from promoting the danger of head-eye contact, it's not a, a tough act because you've got one player totally relaxed and not expecting contact, the other guy ready to dish it out. Have a think about some of the incidents which back in the day were viewed as tough Pieces of tough footy. I guess the one that always comes to mind for me is Dermot Burton cleaning up Paul Vanderhaar at Waverley in the eighty-nine second semi-final. That's not toughness by today's definition of tough football. I think it, it look it was a great part of, of the game. I don't think it's an intrinsic part of the game now, and I think things would be a lot simpler and there'd be a lot less danger of players as good as Dangerfield being suspended if you couldn't bump. There was no choice to be made. Do you understand that argument, fine
1: Yes, I do. And I agree in, in the context of the physical bump that we saw Paddy Dangerfield deliver, that, that knock-you-down type of bump. But you can't just have a blanket ban of the bump because we get into very technical areas of how much force constitutes a bump. When a player uses his side and his backside to nugs a player out of position, is that a bump a bit? How about a player that is sort of off balance and is then knocked legally off balance with quite a legal soft sort of action and that clears the way for a player? So we talk about players needing to keep their feet and whatever, but they often they often lose their feet as the result of a non-physical, not a, a high-impact bump, but a well-placed you know, shifting of the player through that bumping motion. Uh, You'd almost be looking at a lot of goals and say, hang on, wasn't that a bump involved in that goal? So to say outlawing the bump becomes highly problematic, but I totally agree that we no longer have a place in the game for the ball player to be met legally and solidly once he disposes of the ball by a bumping player. Imagine that in any other sport. It'd be an immediate red card in soccer if a player crossed the ball in and a second later he got ironed out by another player. I think yeah. I think you're spot on. You, you said it perfectly. One player braced for it, the other one in a completely different physical space because he's playing the ball.
0: Yeah, well, you do make a very good point about what constitutes a bump and, and what about when two Players are jostling each other, waiting for a marking contest. So, yeah, my question what to I'm you, about. yeah, well, my question to you then is: How do we differentiate? How do we legislate so that what Dangerfield did, a player no longer
1: has the option to do? I think exactly the same way. What the the I, the sort of um, ideology behind a free kick and fifty meter penalty for retarding a player once he has released the ball because that was considered unfair if that player wanted to go on and play run downfield, why is it any different putting him on his backside? That's also not fair. So even if you do it legally, if a player's got the ball and he handballs or kicks to a teammate, if you come in and then knock him to the ground, making it impossible for him to be part of the play going forward, that's a three and 50. It's just, what's the difference between tackling him or bumping him to stop him being part of the play?
0: Okay, so so if a player decides that's um, collateral damage, that it's 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 a a decent enough price to pay to deliver a symbolic and literal, uh, you know, shirt front to a player, uh, given that the late contact already is a free kick downfield or a fifty, like. I don't know, I'm I'm thinking on the run here, but it doesn't seem to be any way short of outlawing a bump of making sure that a player doesn't even think, I have the option to
1: bump here. All right, So you can make it reportable, you can make an unduly rough play, even without head contact. You know, there's enough of that whiplash head contact to make it a foreseeable outcome from those very physical bumps. Mm. So that becomes rough play because there is a probability a decent probability that a bump will result in a a, a a head clash now that being the case then I don't think we should say if there's a head clash you pay the penalty I think we should then say because there's a chance of a head clash you should pay the penalty how about that yeah, well, again,
0: you, you get into that area of intent versus consequences. I think, you know, I do have a philosophical problem with the bump, as we've come to know it, being penalised more heavily than a guy punching someone if the bump inflicts more damage than the punch did, because I think that sends a wrong message. Um, but that's, I guess that's a whole nother debate. Do you agree with me, though, that if you look back on it and, and you're brutally honest about it, the bump... Is actually an overrated part of the game. No, it, it
1: is now, but it yeah, was. So, uh, now
0: name me a name me a famous and storied bump through the ages that wasn't, in fact, one guy
1: prepared for contact picking off someone who wasn't. Well, that's the thing that back when the bump was legal and almost the shirt front was legal, it was an absolute part of the game to protect yourself, embrace yourself. But players don't do that anymore. Players now run and kick. It's almost like batting with a helmet and losing the art of how to play the short ball. Because I remember when I started playing even junior football, I, if a, and this happened, like a, a centre-half back, a kid would get cleaned up and he'd be lying there sort of crying almost. and And the... Seeing the coaches of the team, who were sort of senior footballers at the club, would say, "Mate, you've got to protect yourself. You've got to, you've got to understand. You're too open, and a player just in a high contact sport, just running around as though he's not going to get bumped. Back in the day, deserved it, but nowadays, that's how we play football. It's all run and gun. There's no nobody's ever said, you know." Um, Kelly handballed the ball. He should have braced himself for contact because it's not part of the game anymore. So given that it's not part of the game anymore and we've moved on from it and players do not not expect to be bowled over all the time, we have to outlaw it and make it illegal. And I think the only way to do that is to treat it with the same sensibility, say, as the dump tackle. Now, a couple of players on the weekend got reported and fined for those dangerous tackles. The players they tackled didn't get injured, so why do we wait for a bumping incident for a player to get injured? Mm-hmm. You know, if if Dangerfield wouldn't have made head contact, why can't that still be a reportable incident and, and more likely a fine than you know or or a you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think I think I think you're quite right,
0: and I think that actually is the solution to make all those instances reportable regardless of the damage inflicted, which gets back to a more even balance between intent and consequences, I think. All right. We've got to move on. Um, Interesting discussion. I'm sure we'll uh, be hearing a lot more about it. I bet you we get called soft. Oh, well, by the same dinosaurs who seem to now inhabit my Facebook page. Um, All right. uh, Nice little drive by there. Let's uh, talk about the serious injury to Matt Rowell. Um, uh, I won't say tragic, but uh, shocking luck this uh, young, poor young guy has suffered now, two seasons in a row. Of course, brilliant debut last year, did his shoulder in his fifth game of AFL footy, missed the rest of the season. Uh, round one in his second season, and he's torn a PCL, and it looks like he's out for a minimum. Of three months, um, terrible fate for him, for the Suns, but for the game too, for him.
1: All right, let's look at the positives. He's still a teenager. These are two impact injuries. There's no sense that he's got uh, poor hamstrings or there, there's no. I, I don't think we we anybody suggesting that he has an ongoing problem. He's still a teenager, and that kid's attitude is. It really should be something that is showcased. Did you see him sit back down on the bench with Stuart Dew and, and really, you know, not be downbeat? You know, just get. Mm-hmm. I think Stuart Dew actually last year really handled the shoulderings very well by making him part of the coaching staff because yeah. he really just sat down very comfortably, smiled, and almost took up his position in the coaching dugout. So it, it I, I don't care when opposition players get injured as a saints fan i do as a footy follower but i really was upset by it i could you know it was like are you serious give me yeah. a break if, if there is a footy god then have a good luck long hard look at yourself pal well how, how big a difference do we think this
0: makes to the sun so it's got to be said we're um geez they were you know i mean i'll hate that tag of Gallant in defeat, but uh, boy, they really, really push West Coast over in Perth. Uh, 25 points in the end, not really reflective of how close that game was, but geez, this? you know, I mean... they Very they, thin
1: they... midfield, Rowan. Say it again, very... It, very thin midfield. They've got a lot of sort of halfback yeah. flankers. flankers. Yeah. Midfield's good with Raoul in it, but you start searching for who goes into the midfield. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh,
0: that that's one of my knocks on them that they, you know, it's still a very young and raw list, and midfield depth I think is going to be an increasing indicator of teams um, how well equipped teams are to get to the finals and then contest them. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that's
1: probably the difference between them being a potential finalist or not. Agreed. I feel sorry for not only as you say, Matt Rowell and the Gold Coast Suns, but also for football, there's a lot of impartials that watch the game, you know. I didn't realise how many people just enjoy footy. I I can't. How do they do it, Rowan? But for those who love the game, that's a big loss. Yeah, well, we used to call them
0: theatre-goers, but there are a lot more people these days who they might support a team, but they're just as happy to watch any other yeah, they team really play are. as their own. And that's not a bad thing. All right, final uh, thing I wanted to cover off on in newsfeed this week. And it's an interesting story uh, in the Herald Sun today, written by Mark Robinson. And it's about um, the fallout between former North Melbourne coach Rhys Shaw and his old club. Now, according to Robbo, uh, relations have been very strained. North Melbourne claim that Shaw has not answered the calls or texts of senior club people, including list manager Brady Rawlings, director Glenn Archer or head of media Heath O'Loughlin for, well, as long as since last September. Um, Heath Shaw had a little bit to say about what he thought was unsupportive treatment from the club in an interview with the Herald Sun late last year. Um, there's also an added element here where Robbo has written about AFL senior journalist Damien Barrett, who I should point out here is a North Melbourne supporter. Um, he has apparently, according to Robbo, been pretty um, full on in claiming that Rhys wasn't properly supported by the club to the point where the Roos actually had a word to the AFL about what they saw as some fairly jaundiced reporting of the situation. Uh, Anyway, um, Shaw has subsequently been appointed a full-time development coach at Gold Coast, and just so happens North Melbourne play Gold Coast this week. So uh, a lot of speculation as to whether bread will be broken between the two parties and um, just what's gone on there. And when you think about it, Finey, Um, You know, obviously everyone very supportive of Rhys Shaw when it was announced that, you know, he'd had a a mental health issue and need to step away from the game. But I think it's fair to say some eyebrows were raised at his fairly speedy reappointment to the game in a full-time job with another club. How, How have you seen this story?
1: Well, certainly when he left North Melbourne, I mean, that club was in a terrible pickle because... He, there were twelve senior players delisted. That and okay, if that was Reece Shaw's rebuild of the club, that's fine. But then to not coach the club and put that onto the incumbent David Noble was difficult. But we left it alone because we understand that mental health is as important to your, you know, not only well being, but in many cases to you being alive as physical as what we always used to know as more common medical complaints. So we were totally respectful and we remain so. If that was an issue and there were problems surrounding his state of mind, we respect that. But we also ask how can he so quickly take up a senior position at another club? Fair questions. What I love about that article though was it's like one of those um, Sherbet cones, you know, with the, with the marshmallow on top and the hundreds and thousands, it's soft and fluffy. But there's a fizzy bit down the bottom that makes it more interesting. And the fizzy bit in this article is how Robbo does not like Damien Barrett one bit. Uh, yeah, I think
0: it's a bit more than fizz. I mean, there's uh, there's so many agendas going on in this story. I
1: don't know where to start really. But uh, no, there's I don't. Think what was much... odd was that Robbo suggested that the AFL would be monitoring Damien Barrett. Aren't they paying him to write the articles? Well, I guess that's how they monitor him.
0: Uh, Don't forget, of (laughs) course, don't forget the AFL was not averse to meeting out punishment to its own. Uh, Infamously standing down Mitch Cleary last year when he did uh, bring up the subject of Trent Cotchin's wife's visit to the day spar. I mean... Yeah, so we're treading into some dangerous areas there, but you couldn't help but notice um, the uh, not glee, but uh, Robbo certainly was pretty happy to talk about the AFL journalist and how they've reported the same story. In fact, it's the first time I've even heard Robbo mention Damien's name uh, for several years. I think I thought he'd uh, he'd basically wiped him off the face of the earth. Um, interesting times interesting story i'll ask you this one this is is a tough question do you think um given that we are now more sensitive to mental health issues do you think there are going to be occasions where people and again i'm stressing i'm not leveling this accusation at reassure but is there a greater danger now that people will use mental health as a cover and do you think how long do you think people will remain reluctant to call that out because they
1: don't want to be seen as insensitive? Well, there has to be a clear distinction between mental health and, say, failed relationships in a business sense or um, disappointment through expectations not being met you can be furious, you can be sad, you can be let down, you can be all of those things, but that's not mental health. That is your emotional position that you might find yourself in. And, you know, he might have been completely um, distraught by the lack of support that he felt he was not getting from North Melbourne. That's different from the debilitating effects of severe depression and the 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 dark world of mental health. They are two very different things. So let's be clear in those distinctions and let's also assess, uh, and let's also understand that um, we support, you, you support people, nobody wants anybody upset, but in terms of a health issue, we are talking about clinical depression as diagnosed by professionals, aren't we?
0: Yeah, look, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, frankly, I think, you know, we probably need to err on the side of caution for a while yet, uh, whilst we're still sort of understanding the the nuances of mental health issues and how we deal with them. Um, all right, that is enough news for this week. We have got nine big games to preview in round two. Let's get straight into that. On Footiology, previews with Punch. Round two kicks off with a big Thursday night game and another clash of traditional rivals. Massive rivalry this one. Carlton taking on Collingwood. Kickoff 7.20pm at the G. Where else would a game like that be? Uh, Stats Insider has given us, as usual, some terrific stats on each of these games. Their pertinent stat for the Blues versus the Pies is that Carlton gave up an extra 34 inside 50s to Richmond last week and an extra 861 metres gained. Not only were these easily the highs of the round, but their 38 total tackles was the second worst number of the round. So you look at that, you think the Blues have got to tackle more uh, they've got to stop the flow of opposition inside 50 entries and probably got to uh, cover a bit more meterage with their run and carry. Probably some important changes for either side. Finally, what do you reckon is going to happen on that front? Well, Zach Williams
1: will certainly make his debut for the Blues, and that's a big in. After suspension, Jack Martin comes back into the side. And I reckon Oscar McDonald makes a good case for being in the starting 22 after being the sub coming on with such effect. Out of the team, Sylvani injured. I think Lockie O'Brien's probably in danger. and If McDonald does make the 22, does that put Levi Casbolt in the gun? Wait and see. Collingwood welcome back side bottom. That's important. Uh, Darcy Cameron will come into the team because I, I think he will because that forward line didn't work. And maybe the unused sub Callum Brown gets a look. So many could go out. Rusco, Oliver Henry, the first game. I know it's tough. Braden Sear, Hoskin Elliott. We'll wait to see. As far as the game, I mean, I you know, Collin would have got barely any injuries. Their list is thin. Whereas Carlton made a really good fist of what was, you know, the toughest gig in town, a Dustin Martin-inspired Richmond. And they welcome back important players, Williams and Martin. I think that Carlton, actually, those numbers that you mentioned from Stats Insider suggest that this is an exciting run-and-gun team with offence and scoring on their mind. And given Collingwood's forward line, any team that scores over 12 goals might be away and off to the races. What do you reckon? Well, I,
0: yeah, I've got to say I, I haven't had as much trouble tipping a winner in a collingwood Carlton game for a long, long time. And my rule of thumb 99 times out of 100 in that time would be tip Collingwood because they're be- the better side. I'm not sure they're that much better a side anymore. I, I think you're right. They haven't got that many injuries. I thought they were, you know, deeply unimpressive against the Western Bulldogs, who should have won by a fair bit more, I think, than they did. Uh In contrast, I I was very impressed with Carlton, even a losing effort against Richmond. And, um, you know, they they pushed the Tigers all the way. I think they've got plenty... I think they've probably got a bit more pace around the ground than the Pies. I think their forward line looks a lot more dangerous. Uh, I think Williams is a a big inclusion. You have a look at the impact Adam Sard made in his debut. To have Sard and Williams coming off that half-back line, I think that's a, a... He's a valuable inclusion for the Blues. Pretty impressive, I reckon. Um, I can't remember the last time I've done this, finey, but I am going to tip Carlton to win this battle of traditional rivals. It's the Blues for me. What say you? By how many points? And go better be an even number, Robin. Oh, that's right. I forgot we were doing that. All right. I'm going to go for Carlton by 12 points.
1: Uh, you know, the big alarm bell just quickly for Collingwood is they were under siege last week. Actually, their back line was quite brilliant. What happens if their back line doesn't go as well? I'm I'm going to go Carlton by 38. I thought you were always going to tip odd margins. Yeah, you're right. Carlton by 39.
0: Okay. All right. (laughs) There's the Thursday game. Another big Friday night game. Let's talk about that one. Friday night at GMHBA Stadium, otherwise known as Cadinia Park. 7.50 p.m sees a rematch of one of last year's preliminary finals. Geelong taking on Brisbane. Of course, that game won pretty comfortably by the Cats in the end up at the Gabba, a significant advantage for Geelong this time, playing it on their own much-feared stamping ground. What a dominant record they have there. So dominant, in fact, that they have won the last 11 meetings of these two Sides at the category at the category, Brisbane's last win over Geelong at Geelong, coming all the way back in 2004, when of course they were about to play in their fourth straight grand final. Of course, Brisbane knocked over Geelong in the preliminary final that year as well. The wheel turns full circle. Um, Stats Insider have got an interesting stat on this one of Geelong's 21 matches last season, the Cats were outmarked. Just once, but they in fact lost that statistic in that shock defeat to Adelaide last Saturday. The Crows outmarking the Cats ninety to eighty. Aerial power has been a significant feature of their performance as a side in the last few years. What's going to happen on that score? Will we see many changes to the lineups?
1: How do you see it, Finny? Well, of course, Dangerfield is out for three. We know that Sam Menegola. Has a shoulder injury that Chris Scott said has him 50 50, came off for Charlie Constable. So Constable could come into the 23. Zach Tui's chance. Zach Henry's a chance. I think Zach Guthrie's probably in danger of getting omitted. And that could open the door for the real smoky from last year's draft, Francis Evans. He's a smallish forward, but very good aerially. And he was drafted on the back of 2018 form not with the call to cannons, even though he played two games there, but with Brunswick, North Old Boys in Division Two of the VAFA. So that was a real smoky. I'd love to see him play. As for Brisbane, uh, first game of Sharp, I think he's in a bit of trouble. And I wonder whether Grant Burchell, where, where do you sit with Grant Burchell, Rowan? Oh, I think he's pretty important as much for his
0: uh, directing abilities off half-back line in much the same way Lou Codge was, you know. I mean, Luke College didn't necessarily contribute a great deal purely as a player for Brisbane in his last season, but it's that ability to be able to marshal the troops and get them in the right positions. And you have a look at Brisbane's defence against Sydney, leaking nine goals in that second quarter, and clearly the positioning wasn't great.
1: I tell you, you know what? When they're winning, you can have a Grant Birchall, and he's a luxury that you can't afford when you're losing. So... He probably stays in the team because they've only lost one game, but he'd be an early casualty if they kept losing. Uh, there's no Darcy Gardner, which is, I think, a big loss for their back line. And maybe a game for Eli Smith to make his debut. Now, he was drafted not last year, but the year before. He was Brisbane's first pick, a big-bodied midfielder from Yarrawonga. So not impossible that he comes into the side. Just looking at Geelong's... Casualty list as a group, you know some big names
0: there, aren't? Or well, absentee list, you know you've now got no Dangerfield, no Cameron, no Duncan, maybe no Menegola, no Radicalea, no Simpson. You know that's fairly significant. A couple of other points too. Uh, you know, as familiar and uh, as feared as they are on this ground, it's a ground they haven't played on now for gee, uh, when was it round? whatever last season was June or July, you know, it's getting on for a year. So maybe they're not quite as familiar with it as they generally are. Uh, they did lose, of course, last season to Carlton in uh, round two. So, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough venue to win at, but I don't think the Lions are without claims and they will be stinging badly after uh, a pretty terrible defeat at home, which was 31 points, but could have been a lot more. But look, that said... Geelong's record precludes me tipping against them at home. I think you'd be silly to do it unless you were going for a real upset. So I'm sticking with the
1: cats, not necessarily by a lot. I'll tip them by 20 points. I reckon the cats unfortunately showed a a soft underbelly that is a blueprint for how to how to beat them. And that is that full court press. We know that they like touching the ball. We know that they like keeping the ball keepings off, but Adelaide just harassed them to the point of them losing that ability to keep the ball. And I've got to say, without Dangerfield, uh that that ability to hold on the ball and without Duncan to take advantage of when it breaks to the to the clear, I think it leaves them with very few options. Go I'll on, do it. Go on I'm do tipping it. Brisbane. Okay. Like, you think GMA you think GMHBA stands for Geelong might hammer Brisbane again, but I don't <laughs> think it does. I think Brisbane are going to win, and I'm tipping them by nine points. That was very good off the top.
0: You, you do have a thing with acronyms and initials and, and whatever, don't you? are pretty yeah, good at it's that.
1: Yeah, co- it's, it's called um, – I think I've got a touch of the um, – Asperger's? Yeah, it on the spectrums when it comes to yeah. letters, don't it? Well, it has crossed my mind on the odd occasion. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. It's a, it's a youth being absolutely brought up on Scrabble. Oh, very good. Yeah, no, my mum's very You know, good at I made that. the national finals when I was 16. Did you really?
0: Well done. Now, my mum's yep. very good at Scrabble. And if, if there is that link you speak of, it suddenly a lot about my upbringing makes a lot more sense. And a big hello there you go. to my mum. All right, (laughs) let's move on to Saturday. Well, this is a far more interesting contest than you might have thought before last weekend. Sydney taking on Adelaide, the two uh, most surprising winners of round one. Of course, Sydney beating Brisbane, Adelaide upsetting Geelong. This clash between them is at the SCG, 145 Saturday afternoon. Uh, think back to their last meeting, finally, which was in the first round of last season, of course, before we had the three month layoff, and that saw a very narrow win to the Swans. Stats Insider tell us that the Swans pre season were a 36.5 chance of making the final eight. That number, after just one game, has now jumped to 55.6. They've also got what Stats Insider's scheduled difficulty model has assessed as the league's easiest fixture. So, another reason they might well be a finalist this season. Um, Boy, there's so many ifs and buts about this and so much unexpected good form shown by the pair of them. Um, There might be some interest at the selection table, I think. Uh, You wouldn't think either would be looking to make too many. Changes, except there's one very, very big name who we think
1: is returning for the Swans. Yeah, that's... Well, unfortunately, John Longbile let the cat out of the bag. And this could have been one of the sort of biggest build-ups to Willie won't he? But he will. Lance Franklin is going to play. And young Hayden McLean's going to be the victim because he, he didn't get a lot of the ball and everybody else did. You know what that means? He'll come in, buddy, but almost more telling is there's no room in the side for the unused sub, Will Haywood. There's no room for Justin McInerney. There's no room for Callum Sinclair. Now, you would have had them as sort of certainties, wouldn't you, in that 22, but the arrival of, you know, Goulden, MacDonald and Braden Campbell, well, how's that? As for Adelaide, now, here's an interesting dynamic that I've got to wrap my head around, and all footy fans do. Adelaide have got three outs, three injuries, but they've only need to make two ins, really, because the three injured players are Kelly, Luke Brown, and Mick Hinge, who came on as the un, as the sub. So even though three go out, that's three from 23. You're only putting two back into the 22. So who comes in? I reckon Josh Worrell's going to make his debut. Pick twenty-eight last year in the draft from Halebury, hundred ninety-five centimetre key defender. Great time to play him on Buddy Franklin in his first game. Um, oh, there's also a bit of a question over Shane McAdams ankle. So Darcy Fogarty, what do you make of Fogarty? He's a bit of a, a sort of ongoing. He's an ongoing. He's a work in progress, and like a lot of roadworks in progress in Melbourne, he never seems to get done. Yeah, I, he's sort of I, out of the team more than he's in.
0: He's got a touch of the Tex Walker's about him. I mean, if you remember the start to Walker's career, you know, it was sort of sporadic shows of his talent, wasn't it? And then it sort of clicked. I, I still think that it will click for Fogarty. Um, you know, thumping kick, uh, strong body. He's uh, got the attributes. I, I'd be backing him in. So he will get there, I guess, sooner than later would be helpful though for a side that's rebuilding i'll tell you what finey as you know i'm very taken by the swans i managed to slip them into my predicted top eight and even more so after that performance last saturday night i've actually written about them for australian community media this morning uh geez i'm doing a lot of writing these days um but such an impressive performance their rebuild uh It is highly, highly impressive. You know, they had six players in that side last Saturday night with 10 or fewer games to their names. And each one of them was a key contributor to the win. Errol Golden, of course, winning the Rising Star nomination. Logan McDonald kicked three goals and was important. Braden Campbell looked really, really classy with uh, a dozen or so disposals. Um, you You know how much I love James Rowbottom. We've seen Callum Mills make that move to midfield. I think he's going to be pretty pivotal to beefing up that midfield group. Uh, and then you've got all those more experienced players. Uh, Isaac Heaney, you know, it sounds a bit funny, but I was discussing with someone yesterday. He could be pretty underrated still, Isaac Heaney. I uh, mean, he's sort of been injured so much that we it gets forgotten a bit, as do a lot of those players coming from the Swans lineup. And then you know the old stages: Kennedy, Parker, Papley, Lloyd, etc. They've got some serious talent in that lineup. Um, you've
1: only missed you've only missed one of the of the young brigade, the precocious young brigade. How good a key defender is Tom McCart? Oh yeah, no, that's been an inspired move. Oh,
0: and there's and look, while we're on the subject, I mean Tom Hickey, he was terrific for them in the ruck last week. So. The pluses are everywhere for the Swans. And don't get me wrong, they're there for the Crows too. I mean, that was a terrific performance. But at the SCG, can't go past Sydney. I'm tipping the Swans to win this one by 28 points.
1: I mean, he is good, Hickey. He's been in and out of more clubs than Derby back in the day. But he's maybe found his spot. Keeping Callum Sinclair out is a good effort. You've got to tip Sydney. You've got to admire Adelaide. But you've got to say that sustainability throughout the season into something very special very soon. I think you might be onto something with your pre-season selection and putting them in the eight, Rowan. I love what they've got in reserve. We love McInerney and and he's not in the team. Mm. That must be a good team if there's no spot for him. I've got Sydney to win this one by 31 points because that's an odd number. Correct.
0: We are going to stick with this format. Uh, all right, that is the first of the Saturday menu. Uh, next game's a Twilight game. Let's talk about that. Ah. 435 Eastern uh, daylight Saving time 405 in Adelaide at Adelaide Oval sees Port Adelaide taking on Essendon in one corner. a pretty impressive victor from last week in the power as you would have expected against North Melbourne, that game at Marvel Stadium. And Essendon, still recovering from giving up no less than a 40-point lead against bitter rival Hawthorne. That one stung, and I was just sitting in the outer, so hopefully it stung the players a fair bit too. Got to say, though, based on that form, based on expectation, this could be a little bit ugly as well. Stats Insider tell us about this game that Essendon ranked fifth for intercept possessions over the weekend, applied the third most 1% acts and laid the second most tackles. They ranked 15th, 13th and 11th in those respective stats last season. So that's encouraging. Now, having said what I just said, finally, it wasn't, um, you know, there were some positives out of that performance, probably mostly the likes of Nick Cox and Harrison Jones, who both did pretty well in their senior debuts, but Port Adelaide, they looked potent indeed. Wow, they have got some serious scoring firepower. Uh, Do you think the Bombers can do much in the way of changes to combat that?
1: They could. Will they? Will they bring in Jake Stringer? Had his first game back in the VFL. I just reckon the trip over to Port Adelaide, Give him one more week because he has got that history of soft tissue injuries, and that would be really disappointing if he was to break down again. So I reckon they might err on the side of conservatism. They're a pretty tall team they took under the roof against Hawthorne. Do they play Peter Wright, Harry Jones, Nick Cox, Sam Draper, Cale Hooker, you know, and more, Francis down back. It's a pretty tall all lineup. So maybe one of those makes way. Gleeson could come in maybe for Francis. And Cutler, who I don't rate, actually could be promoted as the unused sub. We'll wait and see. Easier at Port Adelaide. Hamish Hartlett for the injured Riley Bonner, who did a hamstring. And I reckon they'll be conservative with Connor Rosie, who's back training after a foot operation. Why rush back somebody of that quality? And I don't think they need to. Just very quickly, Port Adelaide looked so quick, didn't they, in transition against North Melbourne. Orazio Fantasia is going to have a few Essendon supporters furrowing their brows on the weekend. If he doubles up on the pace and uh, goal-kicking ability showed in round one, there'll be a <laughs> oh, there'll be a few tweets and Facebook messages about what are we getting rid of him for and keeping this flow for, but it's how it panned out. Uh, they're going to be too quick for Essendon, I think. They're going to be too good for Essendon. And the problem is, after coughing up a 40-point lead, if you could pick the one place and one team you do not want to go and face the week after, it's Port Adelaide. You really need to get back on the horse. And this is a bucking horse that is going to give you a bucking hard time. Port Adelaide by 37. Oh, you're giving you a tip now, are you? Okay. You fired all your well, guns at I mean, once. It'd be very odd if after that I said Essendon by 10. Yeah,
0: but 12, I think you know. people were hanging on in desperate anticipation of your margin. All right, well, yeah, I'll give you mine now as well. Uh, why I think this could get ugly, all the reasons you've just said. But um, not only have you got uh, a terrific midfield set up that gets its hands on the foot of your heap and delivers beautifully, the delivery into that forward 50 against North Melbourne was sublime. But that is coming up against a defence that, oh, jeez, it was Close your eyes stuff for the Bombers against the Hawks in that uh, second half last week. Their defence was all at sea. Look, I thought Laverde tried pretty hard, but Aaron Francis, I don't know where he's at as a footballer, he looked all at sea, not for the first time defensively. I reckon he could be omitted to make way for a Gleason or someone of that ilk. But if the Essendon defence is as poorly positioned and caught short to the extent it was against the Hawks, they will get ripped to shreds by Port's forward setup. So uh, I just can't see a case for an upset in, in this particular matchup, given the respective strengths and weaknesses of either side. I'm going for Port by a considerable margin as well. I'm going for Port Adelaide by 40 points. All right, that is Saturday Twilight. Let's talk about Saturday evening. Hi. Saturday evening at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, 7.25pm. It is a clash between St Kilda and Melbourne. Two victors from round one, of course. The Saints gritty winners over GWS up in a rain-sodden giant stadium. And Melbourne, eh, not a great game, but uh, certainly the superior outfit against Fremantle at the MCG. Stats Insider tells us that Melbourne won the uncontested possession count in only six of their 17 games last season. And the bounce statistic just once they won both those areas comprehensively against the Dockers last week though, while their 61 inside fifties was the fourth highest figure for the round. That's pretty remarkable in itself, but there were three higher inside 50 counts than that. that could be a pointer to what we're going to see this year. Interesting, Stat this one, Finey, your Saints, very impressive. Uh, I wonder if Melbourne might um, look at the St Kilda lineup and at the selection table, try to do something a bit different.
1: Well, the Saints will have already announced that they're welcoming back Max King and Zach Jones. Now, they really need Max King, even though it was greasy last week. Do you know how many contested marks St Kilda were credited with taking? I don't know. One. That's not a lot. Even though uh, even though I can think of two, because if you saw the mark that Jack Higgins took in the third quarter, even though it was a chess mark between two players, it was almost contested. The only other one was memories in the last quarter. So they welcome back, Max King, that's for sure. Zach Jones gives run. Who do you drop? I guess Mackenzie, who came into the team, and then somebody's going to be unlucky. By tell 10 tackles, he'd be unlucky. And I thought he's more warming the seat for Crouch as an inside mid. Maybe Sinclair or Loney. I don't know. Interesting. Melbourne had three important players all get through VFL practice matches on the weekend. Melcham, Viney and Hibbert. Of those, I think Melcham and Viney make a case to be in the team. Uh, Viney comes in for Tom Sparrow's sake. And does Melcham squeeze out Nathan Jones? Perhaps. He got a few touches late, and Hunt. We should remember this is the time to talk game where men's mental health comes sharply into focus and Danny Frawley, much-loved figure at St Kilda, is remembered by family and so many teammates and friends for all the right reasons in the past and all the right reasons going forward. That You just pick up of talking is... It can make all the difference because internalising... And putting on a brave face, as Danny did so often, we saw can have very sad outcomes. Back to the game. And, uh, St Kilda last year got beaten by Melbourne. Don't take this game for granted, St Kilda, because even though last week Gorn did not take advantage of a young Ruckman in Meek, he has Hunter and McKernan, who he should really beat comfortably and give good first advantage to the likes of Oliver, Petrarca, Viney, of course. Braveslaw, that's a pretty strong midfield. The problem is their forward line. We know they can get it in there, but what do they do when it gets in there? Not much. And St Kilda, under the roof, could be a very fast team with many options up forward. I think firepower beats Melbourne this time. Firepower.
0: Yeah, I think uh, danger, danger for the Saints on this front. I mean, they're pretty impressive potential wins, aren't they? Hibbard, Melksham and Vining. I mean, they they make a serious difference to any side. Um, yeah, Melbourne and St Kilda. Like it, it was one way traffic there for a long time between these two clubs, wasn't it? But uh, yep. Melbourne, Melbourne really have sort of turned it around against the Saints in recent times. Did beat them last. Uh, yeah, as you point out, that was in Alice Springs, though, was it not?
1: Yeah, uh, had a very bad loss to St Kilda the previous year, though.
0: Yeah, yeah, when no
1: finals bound.
0: It's definitely uh, a danger game for the Saints this. But the thing that really impressed me about the Saints last week, and I remember noticing this last year too, is a there's a great level of resilience about this side. You don't you haven't often associated it with the Saints in recent times, I think, post-Ross Lyon. But it Don't definitely... worry about recent times. Go back
1: 145 years. You haven't yeah. associated with
0: them. Yeah, okay. Well, it, it started to assert itself last season, I thought, and I thought last week it did so again. I mean, they clawed back again. To, the Giants probably early in the last quarter looked like they were going to go on with and have a chance to go on with. They steeled themselves, pardon the pun. Um, and uh, ended up pinching the win, So I think that quality comes to the fore again. I think this is a game they should win in terms of ability, and I think they're good enough to win it. I'm going for the Saints. Only narrowly, though. I'm, I'm going for St Kilda by eight points against the Demons. What's your tip and
1: margin, please? I am going for St Kilda, and I'll go for St Kilda by my street house number, 11. Yeah, I think it could be quite a contest. All right,
0: uh, good game, that one. We've got a second game on Saturday night. Let's discuss that one. Ah! Saturday evening at Metricon Stadium, 8.10pm Eastern Daylight Saving Time, uh, 7.10 on the Gold Coast. Of course, they don't have Daylight Saving. It is Gold Coast taking on North Melbourne. Our Stats Insider stat on this game. The Stats Insider Futures model now has North Melbourne as the competition's least likely team to win the premiership or make the finals. Um, Probably no great surprise there. And uh, those numbers probably only firmed up since the uh, convincing nature of North's loss to Port Adelaide last week. They started well, but got run over pretty quickly. Gold Coast, very impressive in defeat against West Coast in Perth. However, now, as discussed, without Matt Rowe for at least half the season, major impact I think that one's going to have. Who are they
1: going to replace him with, Farnie? Uh Nick Holman, the sub who came on, did, did well. He'll start in the 22. I think that might be the only change. Uh, possibly Harbrow coming in for maybe Connor Buterick and Ben Ainsworth, if it could fill in the sub's role. As for North Melbourne... Aiden Core probably won't come up with an injured toe. And Curtis Taylor is already out with concussion, 12 days mandatory. Still no Luke McDonald, still no Tarrant. They could welcome back Anderson. And I think a first game for Adu Bossen Vilugi. We're getting it right eventually, his name. Just quickly on the game this is the Caroline Wilson Intra Club <laughs> that, that North Melbourne supporters, you know. We'll never forget. This is what she wanted as an intra-club. They, North, oh, very hard to pick them, Rowan, because, yes, they've got Endeavour, but they don't fill their positions correctly. And I'll tell you what, Nick Larkey was pretty poor against Port Adelaide, and he's their only real marking option up forward, if truth be known. A lot left in Dry Simpkin without Ben Cunnington. Goldstein does his work. Aiden Core comes out. And the backline's thin as well here's a real chance for Gold Coast to get a nice percentage winning result for them. I'm going Gold Coast by 51.
0: Yeah, that's a fair margin. And I do tend to agree with this. Um, North really disappointing after that first quarter. And that first quarter was so good and their supporters were up and about and The young kids looked to be contributing and, uh, you know, there was a bit of spirit there and I thought, gee, what a statement this would be. And then Port just absolutely blew them out of the water in the last three quarters. And it was the the ease with which they were brushed aside, which I think worried me most. Uh, Ease with which they were brushed aside, that was so often a tag applied to the Suns. Uh, Not so much the case last season and I think it'll be less the case this season with or without Matt Rowe. And don't forget, even last season, one of the Gold Coast wins was against the Roos by more than 10 goals, arguably North's most disappointing performance of last season. So the Suns, you know, we're used to them starting seasons well. Um, They began with a loss, but it was a very, very honourable loss. They played some really attractive footy last week, but they played some tough footy as well. And I think Stuart G will be very happy about the level of balance between those two qualities that they exhibited against the Eagles. I think they'll be too skilled for the ruse. I think they'll also be too strong for the ruse, And they have the considerable home ground advantage. So Gold Coast for me, very easily, I'm not going to say 51 points, but I will say 42 points for the Suns (laughs) to beat North Melbourne.
1: All right. I love the way you sort of, I love the way you're searching for an even number that makes sense to you. Good yeah. on you. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Sunday.
0: Sunday afternoon at the MCG, one10 p.m. Hawthorne taking on Richmond. Of course, Richmond unfurled not just one but two premiership flags last week, and then had their traditional season opening victory over Carlton. A plucky Carlton, it must be said. And Hawthorne, well, they will be absolutely buoyant after overcoming that 40-point deficit against Bitterfoe Essendon and emerging triumphant by one point. Uh, Terrific win by the Hawks and a whole lot of pluses and some very promising young players emerging and standing up in that performance. So uh, not to be underestimated here and... I wonder how big a factor this proves. Last season, uh, gee, it looked like an anomaly in retrospect, but Hawthorne comprehensively defeated Richmond in this equivalent clash last year. Easily the best Hawthorne looked all last season was in their um, very convincing victory over the Tigers, and I'm sure that has been revisited this week by Damien Hardwick particularly. He'll be wanting to look at what was it that gave the Hawks the edge over his strangely flat Tigers. Stats Insider tell us about this game, that Jack Graham and Andy McGrath were the only players with at least 30 disposals last week, while enacting at least 25 pressure racks over the weekend. Jack Graham also led the league with 11 inside 50s off his own boot. He was terrific against the Blues and uh, we spoke about it on last week's podcast, finally and in our live stream. That endurance running, uh, he's got a solid frame. So uh, you look at him and think, is that the frame of an endurance runner? But he absolutely has that ability, and he's going to become a bigger and bigger feature of this Richmond Premiership side now. A dual Premiership player, Jack Graham, already, I reckon he could add another one or two to that by the time his career finishes uh, I don't think either side would be looking to make too many changes for this one. Um, anything worthy of note
1: on the injury or selection front? Very easy. Wingard not available, so no change at Hawthorne. Coxon, who was out with some gastro, comes in for Vloston, who was knocked out. So, or um, well, not knocked out, but subbed out, I should say. Not knocked out. So, I mean, he was knocked out in the grand final, but Vloston won't play. Coxon comes in. That's pretty easy. Who was the young W kid from WA that kicked a couple of goals for Hawthorne?
0: Tyler Brockman. Very impressive. Some pretty considerable reps on him. And he looked uh I thought he looked really impressive in the Hawks preseason hit out against North Melbourne and again against the bombers. Yeah, he's a bit of an excitement machine, I think.
1: Good leap on him, too. Yeah. He's does he know the Bumblebee man? Isn't his dad Kent Brockman? Used to read the news on the Simpsons. That's right. I was trying to remember who Kent Brockman was, that, that is who it was. Yeah. Okay. So then then you must they should get the bumblebee man. He'd be good in a forward pocket. Uh, Hawthorne versus Richmond. You know what? Richmond will not be this is the time to play them. You're right. They beat Carlton first game, but then they get a bit sleepy-dozy for a few weeks because they know there's no need to try and win 22 games in the season. You want to play them early. The only problem is they've got a full list to choose from. Nobody in that team wants to be out of the team. There's a few knocking on the door. And Dustin Martin, by dint of his interview with Rebolt, wants to have a season that defines him as a great player and doesn't want to take any games for granted anymore. In other words, he sort of planted his flag and said, oh, I want to win the Brownlow again. That's bad news for any team and way too, way too much for Hawthorne to handle. I, I, like that grain, but boy, I like Shide Bolton too. That midfield put Coxon back in it. Well, I know Tom Mitchell was great, but no way. Hawthorne to go down to Richmond by 27 points.
0: You're right about uh, do Richmond get a bit sleepy dozy after that first up win? I guess the difference this time is there won't be a three month layoff between that uh, round one victory and what they serve up over rounds two and three, um, full squad to pick from basically with the exception of uh, Bashar Hulli. And they've got weaponry all over the ground. The midfield's great, the attack's potent, the defence is strong, teams brilliantly. I'll tell you what though, kudos to the Hawks. I mean, I don't think many people gave them that much of a chance last week, uh, missing the likes of Wingard, uh, Gunston, Sicily. I mean, they're all the sorts of players you think you'd need every possible hand on deck to be competitive this season. Well, a few surprises emerging for the Hawks. Hardwick, terrific for them last week. I think their defence is a better unit than given credit for. Young Will Day too. Boy, he's going to be a really good player. And he was terrific coming out of that back line as well. So Richmond won't have it all their own way. But I don't know. i just got a feeling that result last year will sting uh, will we'll stick. We'll have stuck in Damien Hardwick's core a fair bit, I reckon. And he'll be pretty keen that his Tigers uh, make a statement and show Hawthorne who's boss. I think they will, not by a heap, but I'm going for the Tigers by 24 points. Sunday afternoon, 3.20pm, Marvel Stadium, Western Bulldogs taking on West Coast. Both winners last week, uh, Bulldogs against Collingwood West Coast against Gold Coast, their first road trip of the new season. Stats Insider tell us that the Bulldogs were generating just 13.1 metres gain per disposal last week, which was, and by a very long margin, the round's worst return. So they do have a great midfield. Do they get enough bang for their buck? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure their forward setup functioned that well last week. Josh Bruce didn't have a great day and certainly didn't have his kicking boots on. Aaron Norton looks terrific, but uh, I think they might go up a cog if and when Jamar Ugle Hagen comes into that lineup. He kicked five, of course, in the VFL practice game. Could we see him this week? fine is the big question.
1: No, we've been told no. Ah, oh, damn. Just wait a little bit longer. No change for the doggies. Eastern Wood also, though recuperated. Luke Beveridge, I think he's very happy with that win. No change there. Maybe the Eagles bring in the unused sub Jones, Jermaine Jones, for Patrick Shelley, who might be quick, but he didn't get a lot of the ball. I think he had six takes it. quick.
0: Can I just yeah. chip in there to say I've got a tweet from someone on Sunday night saying that the main reason they listened to our Sunday review podcast was only so that they could hear us talk about how quick Petrocelli was. And well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what,
1: funny he's quick. Yeah. He might be the speedy sub this week. In fact, they might even squeeze Jared Brandry. He's a bloody good player, Jared Brandry, apparently he started the waffle. He's a really solid sort of midfielder, half back type player. I like him. This is a ripping game, Rowan, because it is one team's strengths pose up against another team's sort of weakness. So Western Bulldogs have this deep, deep midfield. Yes, they possess the ball a lot, but it's 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 very talented. We know that. West Coast do not have such a strong midfield, especially with Shuey out of the team. But West Coast have a great marking forward line. West Coast... Western Bulldogs have a bit of a paucity of tall defenders. So who wins the arm wrestle? What's more important, the midfield or the big scoring forwards? Most people would say, let's go where the business is done most, and that's the midfield. I disagree, because I think they do too much business. And I think that there still is enough quality there through Matt Nui. And of course, Kelly was good last week. I didn't mean to criticise him in last week's review. I just want to see that every week. And under the roof, I think you're only sort of a kick and a half away from that forward line, anyhow. So I'm going for the power forward line. Wasn't Oscar Allen great? Lovely, and Ryan, and the other two blokes are pretty good, Kennedy and Darling. I just think that the power forwards can win the day. Should be a ripping game. West Coast by seven. West Coast by seven.
0: A thriller. Mark Fine is tipping. Uh, I think this one will be tight too. And look, I'm a fan of the Eagles. I'm just a bigger fan this year of the Bulldogs. I reckon, I just think they weren't that impressive last week. I reckon they can play a lot better than that. And uh, I think, uh, I understand your argument there about midfield versus forward line. But fact remains, you've got to get your hands on the footy to get it into your forward line. And I think that Doggies midfield has too much depth for the West Coast contingent. So need to get their structure right, need to improve the quality of the delivery. But I'm confident they can do that. I think this will be a great game. I think it'll be a very entertaining game too. These are two sides that are very good to watch, I think. Um, But at home, on their home deck, and I think just with a little bit of tweaking to the way that ball is delivered inside 50, I think the Bulldogs can come up trumps. I'm going to go with a single-figure margin as well for this game. I'm going to go for the Western Bulldogs by two points. Ah. Round two wraps up at 6.10pm Eastern Daylight Saving Time. Over in the West, finishing off the round again, it is Fremantle taking on GWS. Fremantle, very disappointing in their road trip to the MCG to play Melbourne last week. And the Giants at home bested by St Kilda in a pretty tight and tough game. Will that take a toll on the Giants leading into round two? Um, Stats Insider tell us the Giants haven't won, sorry, haven't won both the hitouts and clearances in the same match since round three of last season. Their projections model has also downgraded the Giants further and they now have just a twenty-one point two percent chance of playing finals this season, and isn't that remarkable for a side that only the season before last played off on Grand Final day? Tough ask for the Giants. They have played some pretty decent footy in Perth in recent times, though. Finally, not always getting a win, but certainly proving competitive. Uh, is there a lot on offer to give them hope? Do you think either at selection? or on the uh, tactical front?
1: Yeah, not from their perspective, but from poor old Dockers bleeding players like nobody's business. You know, when my wife goes to the supermarket, she fills up two trolleys and comes back with a receipt that you could use as a scarf. And basically, that's about as long as Dockers' injury list. They've got 16 players injured. Hamling and Pierce go down last week. They're two key defenders. Not much luck there. Might open the door for a debut for their number 14 pick in last year's draft. Highly touted lad from Bentley, I think, which is nice. Oh, no, this kid's from WA. That's right. Heath Chapman's a local product, played for West Perth, played seniors. He's a key defender, 195 centimetres. I reckon he'll make his debut. Sean Darcy's ready to go, but I don't think they can drop Lloyd Meek. They need somebody else tall in the forward line. So that could be one way of getting some height into the team. Still, no log, That's a problem because they need him down back. Many players missing. As for Taylor Duman might come in, if that means anything. Brent Daniels will probably come in for GWS. I reckon he'll take Jack Buckley's spot. And maybe Xavier O'Halloran will swap the sub's vest and give it to Taylor Broome, the young debutant. Didn't get a lot of the ball against Kilda. I'm tipping GWS in this because, sadly, for Brisbane, for Dockers, The numbers just count against them. I just cannot imagine a team with that many injuries being able to cover a side that played pretty well last week, Rowan. The midfield looks more alive than it did in 2020. Cornelio looks fit. I liked Hopper. I liked Taranto. I liked when Taranto went forward. And you've still got Josh Kelly in there. It's a pretty powerful set of mids. Matthew Flynn was good on debut. And... I think there's too many quality players for them not to win the game. Fife would have to have a game out of his skin, which he didn't last week for Frio to get a win. I'm tipping the visitors by 17 points. All right. Uh, a braveish call, given that
0: it's in Perth. Uh, I'm going for the Dockers here, but without much confidence. Uh, boy, they were disappointing last week. No system at all. They were fumbly um, and it was one of those sort of old fashioned Freo performances when they're on the road, a couple of things go wrong early and you know that they haven't got a prayer from that moment onwards. And that's exactly the sort of um, character trait that Justin Longmuir would be desperately trying to get away from. Even Ross Lyon couldn't uh, sort of turn them around from that post 2015, but... Uh, as we've said a fair bit, you know, these are one of those games where they like it. They're on their home deck. They've got their home fans there. Uh, conditions will probably be more favourable to them. Um, and they've got, importantly, I think a few uh, major players desperate to atone after very ordinary performances last week against the Demons. I've got a feeling that Fife is going to have a big day, and that. I believe is mainly on the basis that he had a pretty underwhelming day last week. He's a player of great professional pride, doesn't often deliver two poor performances in a row. That's not to take anything away from the Giants. They were, they, they were far from uh, disgraced in defeat, could have easily won that game against the Saints. Some good signs coming out of it. But more and more to me, the Giants are looking like the quintessential blue-collar Average team. I see them uh, being a a bit of a middle-of-the-road side without enough star quality to get past the best teams um, and without perhaps enough star quality or evenness to be able to upset a side like Fremantle in Perth. Important game for the Dockers is if they're serious about continuing their improvement, making a statement this year, these are the sort of games at home they have to win. I think they're good enough to do that. I'm going for Fremantle by 22 points. And that takes us to the end of our previews with Punch. Time now for our favourite segment. Fantastic. Well, we've got a common denominator in our two flashbacks today and that common denominator is Arctic Park, otherwise known as Waverley, otherwise known as VFL Park and two bizarre sort of incidents that happen at the ground. You probably already know what we're talking about. I'm going to go first. Couldn't go past this one, finally. The night the lights went out, 1996, And that game between our two clubs, Essendon and St Kilda, it was a Saturday night game. Uh, I was working for the Sunday Age and had covered the game at the MCG that day, got my uh, stuff done from there, thought, well, you know what? I might as well get out to Waverley, go past home, keep going to Waverley and uh, sit back in the press box and watch my side compete well. Probably just as well I did because when the lights went out halfway through that third quarter, it was all hands on deck and all lights on deck because the lights went out in the press box as well. And uh, in fact, I was helping our man out at the game, Michael Lovett, uh, file our copy by the light of a tape recorder. Uh, which was more than Malcolm Blight of Channel 7 had to work with. He was actually reading stuff off his notes via candlelight at one stage. What a bizarre episode it was, of course. Uh, a whole generator blown in the Waverley area. Um, pandemonium reigned afterwards. This is the sort of story that, when it happened, was treated as a, a bit of sort of fun and larks. But uh, were it to happen these days, wow, it'd be a major, major incident, the ramifications of which went on for weeks, because you had crowds running onto the ground in total darkness, ripping out the point posts, setting bonfires on fire in the middle of the ground. Uh, Someone lit a bonfire in the terraces as well. Um, I still remember the group of kids having uprooted one of the point posts, running around with it like a souvenir. Um, uh, AFL officials hastily trying to work out what was going on the longer play was postponed for the less likely it was there'd be a resumption in the end um, bizarrely the game was completed the following Tuesday evening with I think it was two 12 minute halves changes were allowed to be made to the sides with none, uh, no, none other than James Heard coming into the Essendon lineup. that would have thrilled St Kilda in the end, Essendon prevailed, but uh, being there on that Saturday night when the lights went out, just an amazing set of circumstances. One of those things you never count on happening at an AFL football match. And uh, let's have a listen to the commentary of uh, Malcolm Blight and Ian Robertson uh, working for Channel 7 and somewhat taken aback by the unexpected turn of events. They lead by that bare margin,
1: 20 points, but uh, in the context, hello, we might really have a amazingly here at Waverley in round 10, St Kilda playing Essendon in Saturday Night Football there has been some sort of power failure 5 minutes or 4 minutes 47 seconds to go of the third quarter, the Bombers were leading by 20 points and the whole place is in darkness there's now some, I guess some safety lights pointing over the ground in front we see the essendon huddle with kevin sheedy the st kilda players are down with stan owls on the bench and really these are night lights not the power of the lights and everything just went black as we think ryan o'connor had a free kick or perhaps a shot at goal so the margin's either 20 26 points or he might have even kicked the point ian robertson but <laughs> there oh i think it's <laughs> hilarious actually welcome and uh you mentioned about people taking uh, photographs, but uh, it certainly is a first as far as is concerned, although I do remember one night here in a pre-season game, I think it was, oh, actually, it might have been mid-season game, uh, and the when sprinklers it, went on. That's right, with Claremont yeah. and... That uh, was yeah. the funniest thing you've ever seen. Now, One of the problems here, of course, is uh, not knowing the rule. I don't think there is a rule on this, year no. Well, I was there, Rowan. I certainly wasn't party to the lighting of fires or stealing of posts, but one did get a sense of social collapse and anarchy and what would happen if they say that it would only, you only need an hour for a whole city to have no electricity, no traffic lights for it to fall into anarchy. But I reckon if it was St Kilda supporters, it might take about 10 minutes, not the full hour. <laughs> Uh, strange
0: days indeed. Uh, but that's not all in our wacky escapades at Waverley because you've got a memorable one for us as well.
1: So my trip to, down memory lane to Waverley is, well, it's befitting of the name Arctic Park. you remember the afternoon in 1993, Rowan, when St Kilda played the Brisbane Bears and the ground was basically laid White with a blanket of hailstones that hit the game, hit the ground during the game. Do you remember that? I've seen the footage often enough, Finney. I'm glad I wasn't
0: sitting in the outer. I'm tipping you probably were, though.
1: I was right in the outer watching Paul Pios shielding himself from, well, you know, they always say golf ball size. Hail, it wasn't quite that big, but they were big and they were belting him as he ran in to kick a famous goal. Easy win for St Kilda on the afternoon. Well, given that Paul Pios goal and all that hail, you'd think it was a low-scoring game. It wasn't. In fact, the weather did clear up and Tony Lockett actually kicked 11 goals that afternoon as part of St Kilda's 20-goal total. So, yeah, it hailed at Waverley, but it was also sunny and windy and hot and rainy and all in the one afternoon. Here's an interesting tidbit. Who do you reckon was Brisbane Bears' leading possession winner that day, Roko?
0: Oh, Marcus Ashcroft, Sean Hart, someone of that ilk.
1: Fair guesses, but Nathan Buckley. Ah, of course. Of course, had one year with Brisbane. Of course. So, even did well in the hail. Now, here's the audio, and this is what I find very interesting from this game. I never heard this before or saw it before. A little bit of the commentary, of course, but... Two of the main players on the afternoon, Paul Pios of Brisbane, and very fittingly, Rowan, Danny Frawley of St Kilda, remember that afternoon in a series for Channel 7 that I can't remember at all. Apparently, they, they had a series of two-minute flashbacks to famous moments in the game. Do you remember that in the 90s? I don't. Well, perfect for our purposes. Sit back and have a listen to Paul Pios, the goal kicker in the hail, and the late... Great Daddy Frawley, and don't forget this Saturday night is time to talk game between St. Kilda and remember, uh, Melbourne remembering Spud. Let's have a listen to Spud and Paul Pios remembering the game. Local hail and thunder, brief snowfall, pretty mild, really, this time of the year. It was a
0: cold day. By way, it was always bitterly cold. It was actually three or four degrees even colder than the CBD. I think mean, from memory, the first time we were alongside
1: and a lot of the players did. Robert Walls. Um, coaching that day was pretty keen for us not to show that we were from Queensland and enjoying the warm weather and the heavens opened up and the hail come down, and that was a very different matter. Gee, this is making it tough. It looks all right, perhaps on your monitor, but take it from me, this is wild and woolly. Look at those hailstones! and Have a look at that shot, Have chopper. you ever seen a game of football cancelled because of weather conditions? I don't think there ever has been So it wasn't just a. A little shower of hailstones, it just gets stronger and stronger. There were some half the size of golf balls and they hurt a fair bit. The hailstones continue to come down, there's a mark taken by Pios. Well the visibility's so bad he had to put his hand up. Well it hurt, like it was heavy and there was nowhere to to hide. And he was losing a fair bit of his um, feathers and the hailstones were bouncing off his scon which we all had a bit of a laugh about. And I put my back to the hail, which was coming back rather than in, into my eyes. Good effort by Pios there to oh. judge that and take a good safe chest mark. What has he done? I think he's kicked it. He has. sort of unavoidable. that We wanted to get somewhere out of the hail and, of course, uh, it wasn't happening. Oh, look at Paul Pios. We'll wear our shorts now from Brisbane. They've logged in. Oh, my hat. Yes, Saki Park, well named. But yeah, those would be the toughest conditions we've played in. Yeah, there were some pretty tough days there. I didn't win much footy out at uh, out that place, but it um, was a great part of my footy history. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like I like the way you. <laughs> in, that, in that interview, Paul Pios is bald as a badger, and you hear Spud there referring to his early hair loss during the interview. Very funny. Good memories. <laughs> Uh, Yes, Paul Pios could play
0: a bit. Uh, He's gone into the uh, management sphere too, I think, but uh, will always be associated with that memorable shot of uh, taking the mark, shielding the hailstones and then kicking one of the bravest goals in AFL history. Um, Good get that one, Fonny. Enjoyed the segment again. Uh, That's it for this week, everyone. Thank you uh, for tuning in. Thanks to our wonderful sponsors again, Finey. Could you please
1: give them their due kudos once again? Ah, uh, burgers. Burgers. Andrews Burgers. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Go there because they're the best burgers you can get in Melbourne. That's why. And also, a big thanks to West Point Properties and Nick Spartels. Great supporters
0: and great builders, Robin. And a big thanks as well to our newest partner, Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader in the world of sports analysis. We have teamed up with them and uh, you've got access to some great free content on their website and you can read some of our stuff on their site and you can read some of their stuff on our site because that's the way independent media partnerships work and it's a wonderful thing. I'll tell you what else would be a wonderful thing. If you guys out there could help keep us going by becoming a Patreon patron of Footyology, links all over the website, or you can support us at our ACAR supporter page, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And let me assure you, your support isn't taken for granted. We are very, very appreciative of it. I should just point out very quickly, different form of football, but Footyology Today on Wednesday, very pleased to announce a new acquisition for our team. We have got Australia's finest soccer commentator, Simon Hill, joining the footyology team to write about the World Game Fine, Are you impressed by that? I
1: am real. That is a, that's a, that's a cute He's so erudite, but also beautifully written. I've read his work. He's got, you've got the um, P in the pod there, my friend, for the World Game
0: We've done very well. So fans of both codes of football in this country, look out for Simon Hill on the Footyology website. His first column will be appearing on Friday. We will be back on Friday night post the Friday evening game with our Footyology Final siren live stream. That'll be at about 10.45pm. So look out for that. And we'll be back in this podcast form Sunday evening to wrap up what should be a huge round two. Thanks for your company, everyone. We'll speak to you then.